Hey everyone, this is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister of the Eagle Community Church of Christ. I just want to thank you for joining into this video or podcast, whatever you're listening to or watching right now. Today we had a worship service back out at the park. We did it on Easter and had a wonderful day. And today we did the same and I forgot to record it. <laughs> I was so I was so caught up in our singing uh, together. I was I wasn't even ready when it was time for me to get up and preach. I was still ready to sing some more. So I forgot that and I thought I need to preach this as soon as possible because what we're going to talk about today is going to be uh, sensitive for some, uh, especially if you're not uh, accustomed to diving into scripture and just even when it says something that you, you may not have experienced before or maybe you uh, you believed one way and then scripture said something and you're, you don't know what to do with it. And so what we've tended to do as Christians is to kind of just kind of ignore those things. And I, I don't think that's right. I, my attitude is we, sh- we should be, if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, hey, let's get out there and let's see what God's word says for us, even when that might be, again, sensitive or uh, might challenge us in some ways. I don't think we should ever fear scripture that we love God. He's given us his word. And so uh, we should, we should want to dive into that. Um, and so I hope this is helpful in some way. I want to make sure that our, our church had access to this so they could reference it. So uh, in our study that we could go back and you can see uh, all the things that I mentioned in the sermon. And quite frankly, I don't have any time pressure since uh, I'm, I'm not looking at a, you know over 100 people that are very hungry uh, out there. So we've already had a great meal today together, had a picnic afterwards. Uh, our small groups just stepped up and knocked it out of the park. And so uh, just a great day. And, and again, hopefully this will be uh, helpful to you. And so what we've been uh, talking about for the last few weeks, except for um, except for Easter and Palm Sunday, so the, the week before uh, Easter, we've been talking about biblical leadership. And when we talk about biblical leadership, I think often in our churches, what we have done is, is we really haven't gotten as much about leadership from the Bible as we have brought the ideas of leadership from our world, from, from the jobs that we, that we have. We brought those ideas into the church instead of going to Scripture and seeing, all right, what is actually biblical leadership? And that, is, that has led for the church to be run like a business uh, often. And, of course, there are some business aspects as far as you may have a budget, you may have some... Uh, some things set up that you have to do, uh, but that doesn't mean leadership needs to be uh, this business-minded thing. And, and so week after week, we have looked and uh, we, we've talked about how Jesus tells his disciples that if you want to be first, you want to be one of the leaders of, of the people around you, you must be last. You must be servant of all. You must be slave of all. And we might not even like that language, but that's what Jesus says. And so Jesus gives a completely different spin on leadership than uh, what we often think of as kind of this authoritarian leadership style where we figure out who's in charge, they make all the decisions, and everyone else kind of falls in line. You never have any uh, concept or idea of that found in Scripture. Now, they come together, they, uh, they join up, and they pray about things, and they ask God to, uh, to answer things, uh, you know, even when you think about them all meeting in Jerusalem and, and deciding about how this whole Jew and Gentile thing works. 
And so there's there's obviously some things where you come together, but you never see the the I'm in charge and this is how it's going to be. It's always everything they do is by uh, by prayer and by uh, just reaching out to God and, and examining what has been taught uh, and then coming to a conclusion there. But it's never, uh, you know, here here is the uh, here are all the decisions passed down to everyone. It is it is done with the leaders being those who serve those who are godly people uh, who are examples for others. And that's how they lead, by showing how to live life. And that's that's true when uh, things are going well. And that's also true when uh, a leader uh, has a sin in their life. Uh, the Bible never says, you know, you find a sin and, and one of your shepherds, get them out. They're no longer a shepherd. It never, never says that. What Scripture says is there's a way to go to them. There's a way to encourage them. There's a way to... Uh, help them see their mistake, uh, because we're all in this to uh, to love one another. That Scripture talks about that over and over, and, and so it's not you know this cancel culture that we have right now. The church has been doing that a long time. Hey, I found out about your sin. You're gone. Well, we know we all sin. So how hypocritical is it to to look at somebody else and as soon as you know something about them, want them out? Uh, and so what our leaders should be doing is being an example that even when you do sin, this is how you do uh, things. This is how you ask for forgiveness, that you turn that around. And, and so they are examples. Uh, biblical leadership, uh, our leaders should be examples of what it looks like to live a life as a human, as someone who sins, as someone who um, is trying their absolute best. Uh, but leaders should be an example uh, to everyone, including how we serve and how we love one another. Today we're talking about deacons. Deacons, um, the very word means servant or minister. And so we really kind of dive into that today. And, and the way I want to approach this is we're going to read the scriptures. Uh, I'm going to read that and have that on the screen for you. Uh, we're going to read that together, and then I'm going to kind of go back uh, through and kind of point out what, what Paul has said. And there's some things in here that need a little bit of, of explanation because uh, I'm just aware of the way we have taught you know, different things, uh, the, the way we have uh, understood some things that I believe Paul uh, kind of clears it up a lot more than, than maybe we have, uh, we have seen before. And, uh, uh, and I hope it's helpful. I hope that as you look at this, you know, we're able to use this as a study tool uh, what uh, what my church has never seen uh, from me is to preach on something and then be real forceful about, and here's where it stops, or here's where it starts today, and we're going to do this. We got to do it now, you know, because I don't think there's uh, any benefit to that unless we were, you know, in some kind of egregious error where we had to change. Uh, but I think uh, as Christians, again, we go to scripture and we study and we learn and we wrestle. Uh, with, with what uh, God has put there for us. And uh, because we do that, uh, I, I think that that's where all the benefit lies, uh, even when it's maybe not comfortable for us. And so today, uh, let's study about deacons together. So our scripture today is going to be from 1 Timothy 3. Uh, Paul has just finished uh, talking about shepherds and kind of the, the qualities in a, in, a, in a man in this instance uh, that you're looking for. And he, he goes through that in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Uh, but then the only place that Paul talks about deacons in this way is 1 Timothy 3. And so he just got done talking about shepherds, and, he, and, start, and starting in verse 8, he says this. He says, In the same way, 
Deacons are to, are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you uh, may have picked out some sensitive uh, topics out of that, um, uh, but we'll, we'll kind of bring to light what I, I have in mind today. Uh, but we have really, in my experience at least, when we've gotten to these qualifications or disqualifications uh, or qualities, uh, whatever you want to go through with this shepherds and deacons thing, we have really nitpicked some things and ignored others. And that's what we did. I want to encourage you, if you haven't looked or, or listened to uh, last week's lesson on shepherds, I want you to go back and do that. Uh, because I think there are a lot of things there that we have kind of glossed over. Uh, we focused on, hey, is the is the uh, the shepherd married? You know, has he been faithful to his wife? But then Paul says he must be a hospitable person. I've never been through an elder selection. I've been through a lot of them. Never been through an elder selection where that was a like a topic we spent any time on other than reading it. And, and so I think there are a lot of things like that, just kind of nuanced in here. Uh, but let's start again with verse eight. It says in the same way, and that'll come up again in just a minute. Deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere. So we're looking for, uh, as, as I mentioned in last week's sermon, Paul is talking about, you want to look at the entire life of these leaders you're selecting for your church, the people you are selecting to kind of be the uh, the official uh, people that hey we are we're kind of stamping these people is they represent us they are they are godly people who are who are doing the work uh, and again that's not these are perfect people these are godly people and again when they when they sin they make that right and they are examples in that way as well they are godly people so they have to be people worthy of this respect. We don't want to shoehorn someone in or make it a political uh, campaign race just because I like this guy or he's my family. No, we want people who are uh, worthy of respect. They, uh, We look at them and think, that's a good example right there of a, a person following God. The same thing goes for when he says, and sincere, they're serious about this, this life that they have chosen, this uh, life where they are following Jesus. It's not something that they are kind of half in, half out on. But they are kind of sold out for uh, for Jesus and and living this kind of life, and, and so we want to uh, we don't ever want to kind of push anyone into this leadership role. Uh, we want to make sure that the person is very serious about it and they understand, you know, what this means. And so hopefully this is this is helpful in that way. Uh, it says not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. Can you imagine choosing deacons? And deacons are, are people who are, are servants. They're ministers. They are people sent to help others. Can you imagine having someone in that position who the church is saying, hey, we trust these people. But the person you've put in there is someone who is very dishonest. They're after, they're after this money. They're after how can I get ahead. And so what you've done in that moment, you haven't selected a deacon, a servant. You've selected someone who's going to take advantage of people. 
So it's a very serious thing. Uh, and, and you've probably seen by now, not indulging in much wine. Paul makes a, a point of this both in shepherds uh, and in deacons. So I feel it necessary to kind of explain a little more. We talked about it last week. Uh, but to talk about just a little bit more because uh, you're, you're probably the same. And I've, I've had people over the years say, uh, you can never have any drink of alcohol that Christians don't drink. Well, the issue with that, and, and we understand that it's a sensitive issue. My own family has, has been touched by um, abuses of alcohol. Uh, my mom's uh, dad was killed by uh, a drunk driver. Uh, he was a drunk himself. Uh, I don't, don't mind telling you that. My mom wouldn't either. Um, and so for, for my mom, it's a very sensitive issue. And we understand that, right? Because when you abuse something that's, uh, when you abuse anything, really, you can take it and you can ruin lives with it. But what we don't find in Scripture is that because you can abuse a certain thing, you should avoid it at all costs. Now, if you're a person who is prone to addiction or uh, you're a person that, you know, for whatever circumstance, you may need to make the choice to never touch alcohol. And I respect anyone who, who makes that decision. But what we can't say is that Scripture tells us, do not ever drink alcohol. You can't, there's no basis for that. And I know people try to say it, uh, but there is no basis for that. And so uh, what I want to show you here uh, is really the reasoning for that. And what we're going to start out with is here when it's talking about deacons, uh, you've got two words on your screen up there. The one in, in green, polis, um, is what it's talking about, quantity. And oinos is, um, you know, is, is wine. And so you've got uh, right here, polis is explained, a relatively large quantity, much, great, or extensive. And he's got a little example sentence that says, there was much grass there. So he said, not given to much wine, okay? So that doesn't mean, um, you know, you should never have a drink. It is, you have to be responsible. You have to treat this in the right way. And, and of course, we know the, the answer why is because you can abuse it. And uh, the last thing you want is, is someone leading your church in whatever capacity who is, uh, who is drunk, who is, is drinking a lot, and thus, you know, not of, of sound mind all the time. And so, uh, to be an example, to be someone who is out serving people, how could you do that if you were drunk <laughs> all the time, you know? And, and so that's what he's saying. So polis means relatively large quantity, much, great, or extensive. And then we dig into uh, oinos, which is, again, wine. And one thing we have said is uh, over time I've, I've heard people make the argument that, well, you think about Jesus as he his first miracle was changing water into wine. And I've actually heard people say he changed it into grape juice. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You have to completely ignore the culture. You have to ignore the time period they were in where they didn't have any refrigeration. You have to completely ignore uh, what is said about it in, in those sentences because the reaction to what Jesus changed it to was, you know, usually we water this stuff down at the end because everybody's drunk. <laughs> and he said, and the reaction to what Jesus turned it into is you have saved the best wine for last. And, and so that just doesn't make sense to try and say what Jesus changed this to was grape juice. Okay. It just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. So 
Oinos on your screen says a fermented beverage made from the juice of grapes, wine. And he gives the example there, Ephesians 5.18, that says, do not get drunk with wine. Okay, so that's Paul speaking again. And, and that is consistent with what he has said here, both as she, uh, in shepherds, talking about shepherds and deacons, is that you're not supposed to have too much. He doesn't say, do not drink wine. He could say that. He could absolutely say that. It's not like there's a sentence structure where he, you know, he, it wouldn't translate. He could say that he doesn't, and so we just we just have to recognize that. And so, uh, and you can I want to point out you can see the references on the bottom of the screen from where you can get uh, this information in the Greek English lexicon here. And so, uh, the note here is though some persons have argued that whenever mention is made of Jesus either making or drinking wine. One must assume that this was only unfermented grape juice. There is no real basis for such a conclusion. He goes on to say, Only where oinos neos, new wine, is mentioned, can one assume that this is unfermented grape juice or grape juice in the initial stages of fermentation. So what you see there, again, no refrigeration. And so the closest you're going to get to grape juice is it is they have just made it. It is what they would call new wine. They have just made it, and it is going to start fermenting. Uh, it is uh, that, That's what's going to happen. There is no, hey, we're going to just drink all the new wine here. Uh, this is a process, and this is the beginning of the process. And, and so that's what you have to wrestle with if you're a person that has believed or uh, you know, you, you've always heard it taught that you can never have any drink. You've got to wrestle with this. Because Jesus even says, remember, as Jesus is going around, he said, you know, you you see me eating and drinking and you call me a glutton and a drunkard. Now, why would they call Jesus a drunkard if he was drinking grape juice? Again, I'm not what I'm not saying is, hey, we all should go out and and get hammered or something. You know, this is not the case. But we have to look at Scripture. We have to be honest with uh, what Scripture is telling us or not telling us. And we, we just have to understand that. There is no uh, imperative of, uh, you know, now we all have to uh, have to go drink. You know, that, that again, this is a question for responsibility. He keeps talking about in all these qualifications, this temperance, this, you know, what, what kind of life are you living? Are you living a life of self-control? And so that's what you have to wrestle with here, uh, that that's what it's talking about, having much wine or too much wine. Back to what it says about uh, there, and we're just talking about shepherds in 1 Timothy 3, 3. Uh, the word up there is paranois. So you see oinos again, and that's not given to drunkenness. So that word is, is drunkenness there, and it says a person who habitually drinks too much and thus becomes a drunkard. Drunkard, heavy drinker. Again, from the Greek-English lexicon. And so, uh, again, in both sections you see this is somebody who doesn't have self-control. This is someone who has decided to live uh, in a way where they have given their life not over to Jesus, but to drinking. And of course, uh, drinking can, again, throw you out of uh, your right mind, uh, the way you're acting and all of that. And, and as a leader, you, you need to be of, of sound mind. You need to be able to lead people. And, and if you're uh, constantly not in that, then you're not actually being a leader uh, and helping, helping other Christians in that moment. Uh, that again cannot be said, you know, for somebody who has a drink, uh, not you know who's being responsible. You know that doesn't uh, uh, that doesn't mean that. So, 
that's what it says here. And, and hey, I understand this, this takes extra study. I've got to process this. Again, uh, we're not here to force anything, but we do need to teach. We do need to learn. And, and that's what we're dealing with when you dive into the Greek and you see this, is that this is what uh, Paul is saying. Uh, it's what Jesus says. It's what Jesus did with his uh, miracle and the way that they accused him of uh, at another time where he was uh, being a glutton and a drunkard. So you've got to kind of wrestle with all of those things. Continue on uh, there in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 3. It says, Deacons must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Okay, so they are uh, someone who, again, we just came off the word uh, sincere as well. Uh, they believe in what they're doing. There's no, again, uh, real iffiness all the time, uh, kind of a wishy-washy person. This is someone who, you know, they have faith. They, they believe in it. And I, I don't think that uh, Paul is saying uh, someone who never has any doubts about anything because we're human. Uh, but but this is someone who believes in what they're doing. They're dedicated to uh, to being a servant, and and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for someone who has that kind of faith. And then he says they must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. And so, like we said earlier with shepherds and 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 right here in this section as well, what we're doing is we're examining uh, someone's entire life. There's no section of life where we kind of give it a pass. Yeah, he's wild and crazy over here, but you know when he's at church, he's a great guy. That's not that kind of deal. We're examining their whole life, and this is, this is the person they are, that they are a godly person. And so it says, after you test them, then let them serve as deacons. And notice here, it's interesting because what you get is, okay, here are the qualities, then let them serve as deacons. And so... This is kind of a stopping point. This is kind of a, okay, this is the end of this section, which leads into the next section, which is also kind of uh, controversial in, in many churches uh, because of the way we uh, kind of ha have read some things. But look at, look at verse 11 here. So we, we just ended this. If there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons, period, right? Well, then verse 11, in the same way. Now, remember, this section on deacons began... With these words, in the same way, you see this transition sentence that we're going to something else. We're we're discussing something else. And he says, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Now, what we need to know is, is the word there uh, in Greek for women could mean wives. It could be women or wives. Uh, and so that brings about controversy. I've got the NIV up there. The 2011 is what I'm uh, I'm using primarily. Uh, but if you go to something like the ESV, I believe, has uh, the wives are to be worthy of respect. And then it says not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. All right. So uh, the, the possibly controversial thing here is what is Paul talking about? Uh, commonly, I think for a lot of us here in Churches of Christ, we have been taught that verse 11 here is saying the wives of the deacons or the wives of the elders, okay? And, and so it, it's as if Paul has addressed the shepherds. He's addressed the deacons. Remember, verse 10 ends with that uh, kind of ending, concluding sentence, let them serve. And then you get here and you think, okay, the women or the wives. So 
It must mean that these are the wives of the deacons and the, the shepherds or elders. And, and that's kind of the way we have been taught. The, the problem is, again, that, that the word there can mean either one, women or wives. But I think uh, what Paul is actually saying here is, is not that at all. He's not referring necessarily. Now, it could be a wife of an elder or a deacon. Uh, but I think what Paul is saying here is he is talking about prospective women uh, to serve as deacons or deaconesses. Okay, and so uh, I'll give you some reasons for that. And hopefully, uh, if that, that strikes you as, uh, oh my goodness, I can't believe that, you know, uh, that we do study this. We do go into it and we, we keep an open mind. So often we, we have a reaction. We have like a gut reaction if something's different than what we expect. And we don't ever give it the time to, to study and to go back with a clear mind to read multiple translations or dive even deeper with some of these other resources. And so uh, when I say something like this, you may think John is crazy, you know. But, uh, but I, I've got some good reasons why I think this. So again, I'll read this one more time, and then we'll go into the reasons that I have uh, for believing that what this is talking about is uh, prospective female deacons and not uh, talking about necessarily uh, just the wives, as if he was just addressing, you know, a deacon has to have a, a wife who is this way, or a shepherd has to have a wife that is this way. Uh, now, I do, I do think that that is built into the uh, to what Paul has said about how. Uh, someone, you know, when you're talking about a shepherd or a deacon, uh, I think what he means there, you know, when he's talking about their family and how they're, you're viewing their entire life, you see like finances, are they greedy? Are they after, are they dishonest? You know, are they, how, what does their family look like? I think that is built in. So if you had a person, uh, let's just say you identified a man and he fit all the qualifications, but his wife is one that is out here gossiping and kind of, you know, drama filled. We probably all know someone in our life that is uh, very divisive and just all, you know, it's like they're not happy if something's, if everything's going well, we gotta, we've got to mess it up a little bit. I, I think really uh, with what the qualifications that Paul has laid out, I think that would, uh, in, in the moment, if you were selecting that or trying to select that guy, uh, that would mean that he should not serve in that capacity. Now, he should still continue to serve as, as we all should in, in the church. But as far as uh, what we think about church leadership as someone who is being an example for all, um, that, that would include a wife who is, you know, of the same mindset, of the same, you know, has, uh, has similar qualities that, uh, you know, you, it wouldn't make sense that with all that Paul says with these qualifications or, or qualities that, that all of a sudden you choose a guy whose wife is out here, you know, uh, with all the drama and gossip and everything else. Uh, I think that would kind of uh, take him out of it. But, uh, uh, but anyway, back to, back to what we were talking about. So uh, these are the reasons why I think Paul is talking about prospective uh, women deacons. And I kept thinking about how can I, how can I make this uh, as plain as I can? And, and if you're watching the video, you see the, the thing in green at the top. And every time I came up with something, it looked like it was uh, three or four sentences long. But I have reasons this is not Paul talking about deacons' wives, but he's talking about prospective female deacons.
And uh, I've got this listed out. A, uh, this verse begins like Paul begins talking about deacons in verse 8. So you see this transition again. You see verse 10 ends, let them serve as, uh, as deacons. And then verse 11, where it talks about the women, it says, in the same way. So you see this transition where just like he did from shepherds to deacons, in the same way deacons, he does the same thing with women. So he, he's, he's making this, uh, this new turn here. Uh, and so I believe that's, that's part of Paul saying, hey, I'm talking about uh, the ladies who are going to serve here as well. Uh, and B, there is no genitive case. Now, the genitive case is, is basically, uh, it's, no, it's, it's showing possession. So I, I have in, in the notes here, it's equivalent to our, something like a possessive pronoun. So in Greek, you would say, um, you know, the, the wife of John. And uh, right here in this section, there is no genitive case. So like I said earlier, it's only women, the plural, or wives, again, plural, no genitive case, not deacons' wives, wives of deacons, not shepherds' wives, uh, wives of shepherds. Now, Paul is very capable of saying that. He doesn't say that. He just says, now the women, okay? And so we got to deal with that. That's what he says. And so I think that's uh, that's the second uh, idea of why I think it's talking about prospective female deacons. Uh, C, again, taking into consideration A and B, uh, combined with the location of this verse. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, we've already talked about uh, the way Paul begins verse 11. Now, uh, go back and look at verse uh, verse 10 and then verse 12. This section on the women is not, you know, if, if you're going to talk about Paul, you know, focusing on the wives of shepherds and deacons after he's talked about shepherds and deacons, you would probably expect that to be at the end, at the very end of everything, right? Talk about shepherds, we talk about deacons, then we're going to talk about the wives of shepherds and deacons, right? But he doesn't do that. What he does is he talks about shepherds, he talks about deacons, he has this transition sentence in the same way, the women, and then the next verse, he continues talking about deacons. So this is right in the middle of uh, all the deacon talk. So he didn't he didn't say this at the end of shepherds and then at the end of deacons. He says this sandwiched in as he's talking about deacons. And so uh, this is another reason why I think uh, Paul is talking about prospective uh, women to serve the church in this way. And D, uh, my final argument here is Phoebe. Now, Phoebe only shows up once in Scripture, and that is in Romans 16. And what I'd encourage you to do, I'm going to read it to you, but I want to, especially if you're uh, you're going to do further study on this, hey, go grab go grab you a Bible. Uh, I use version on my phone most of the time. I've got my entire library, or most of my library on my phone too, to study wherever. Uh, but this is a good time to open it up and see what it says. Uh, when Paul starts Romans chapter 16, he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. All right, so Paul doesn't, you know, kind of plug his ears and go la, 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 like we might want to when we're dealing with this. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. All right, let's talk about a couple of things here. A couple of things that kind of uh, don't help the situation. Uh, in our understanding of it. 
Number one, the word deacon is a transliteration. So a few weeks ago, I talked about baptism and baptism. It would make so much more sense and we'd be so much more clear on it had we actually translated the word. But we didn't translate it. We transliterated it, which means we took the Greek word baptizo and we just changed it to baptize. And so then we say, well, what is baptism really? And so we, we sprinkle and we do all kinds of things. And, you know, uh, do we do that to children, adults, whatever? When actually the word uh, baptizo just simply means immerse. So every time you see baptize, you should say to yourself, immerse. That's what it means. But because we transliterate it, now we've, it's kind of open to discussion. What is it? Well, we know what it is. Well, we know exactly what it is. But because we, we didn't translate it, now we have uh, a lot of issues with it. Same thing here with deacon. A deacon is uh, uh, diakonos. And, and so we, we transliterated it as well. The word means either servant or minister. Now, you might say, oh, well, that means Phoebe was not a, a deacon of the church in the sense that we think of deacons. Well, I think, I think it is. I think she is, uh, and, and I'm going to explain that a little more as we go. Uh, because look, look at how much Paul says about, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon, uh, you know, let's say servant or minister of the church in Cancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. All right, so we read this with eyes of people who are living in 2022, not um, <laughs> A.D., whatever Paul wrote this in, right? And so when we read this, we think, okay, Phoebe must have been a really awesome lady. And we think, oh, okay, well, she's a servant of the church. Now, the way uh, people in that time period would have seen this is completely different than we would read it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this to you. Because of the way Paul commends her, this is actually a special uh, like sentence construction that people in that time would understand uh, more about this than we do. And, and what they would understand is that Phoebe was going to deliver this letter. She was in charge of this. He is commending Phoebe to them. He, he's signing off on her. She is representing him. And uh, in that moment... Uh, Phoebe has been the one with Paul. And so remember, there's no post office. There's no Pony Express. There's, hey, I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to get somebody to go deliver it. And so Phoebe has been with Paul, and she takes the letter to Rome, and Paul includes this to them so they understand that she is not just there on her own volition. She's not there just to mess with them or anything. Paul is saying, I send her to you. And she's going to do this for you. And so we dive into this a little bit is uh, what I've got on the screen. I know if you're listening on a podcast, it's difficult. Uh, but I'm, I'm reading from a, a commentary on Romans uh, from Robert Jewett. Uh, there's a, a commentary called uh, Hermeneia, H-E-R-M-E-N-E-I-A. And uh, Robert Jewett's a, a really good scholar. And, and what he says here is ancient epistolary practice would therefore assume, because of what Paul says about Phoebe, that the recommendation of Phoebe was related to her task of conveying and interpreting the letter in Rome, as well as in carrying out the business entailed in the letter. So, Phoebe is not just a servant in the church as far as, 
you know, she's, she's up cleaning dishes or, or whatever. Now uh, she, I'm sure she was doing that because again, when we talk about uh, uh, biblical leadership, that's what leaders do. But Phoebe is more than this here, that she is leading in a way that she is going to represent Paul to these people. So she probably read this to them. And because she had been with Paul, she explained this letter to them. Now, I wish we had that explanation with us <laughs> because Romans is such a, such a fantastic um, uh, book. There are some sections there where you really have to scratch your head at times and, you know, you really have to go after it. But that's why he sent her. It's because they would have questions. They would have, all right, what did he mean by that? I mean, we live in a time where you get text messages. You're trying to interpret, how did they say that? A lot of times it's determined by our own mood. You know, if we're kind of in a chippy mood, we may read something and take offense, even though it was never written in that way we took it. But that, that's what you kind of got away from there. Can you imagine doing that today? Hey, I'm going to send a text to my, to my best friend over there, but I'm going to get someone. I'm going to explain it all to them. They're going to go over there and explain it. So that would, that would eliminate, for the most part, uh, you know, the, these misunderstandings and stuff. And so that's what Phoebe was in this moment. She was, she was somebody representing the church there in Cancrea, and she was able to stand in Paul's place because he wasn't able to go. Um, and really read the letter to them and explain maybe some things that Paul had uh, had said. And again, as it says, related to her task of conveying and interpreting the letter in Rome, as well as in carrying out the business entailed in the letter. So all of what Paul says there in Romans, she got to to explain and kind of direct them uh, in, in what to do. So again, um, A, uh, reasons this is, I believe this is Paul talking about not talking about deacons' wives, but actually talking about prospective female deacons. Uh, the verse begins again with uh, Paul saying, in the same way, there's a transition. B, there's no genitive case, so we're not saying the wives of the deacons. That's not in the Greek. C, again, we look back at A and B combined with the location of the verse. So it's it's not uh, you know wedged at the end where maybe you think this is a tack on to cover the just the wives of the shepherds and the deacons. But this is right in the middle uh, before it is, hey, let them serve as deacons. <coughs> Excuse me. Then we talk about uh, what the women, uh, the qualities of the women, and then it goes right back into deacons. So it's wedged right in there as we talk about deacons. So that's why I think that. And then Phoebe, uh, as we talk about, because um, what you don't see is another list of uh, deacons and their responsibilities or anything like that. Phoebe is called a deacon of the church. And so that may be something that we're kind of uh, withdrawing about. I'm, I'm kind of worried. Oh, what, what are we teaching? <clears throat> well, it's not what we're teaching. It's, it's what is Scripture saying. And so as we dive into that, that's, that's kind of how you look at it. And so, um, you know, it would make more sense if Paul set out to say, you know, when he would say something like that, and then he would have in parentheses, and what I mean by this is the wives of the deacons, or, you know, that would make so much more sense, but he doesn't do that. And so... Uh, admittedly, that causes some confusion for us because we are so far from when Paul wrote, and we don't have Phoebe here to explain it to us, so we have to do our best. And so I hope that makes some sense to you. I hope that kind of uh, allows you to <coughs> process. I should have brought some water with me. Um, I, I just hope, I hope that helps you. And so, again, I want to answer any questions you may have here 
about this, but I think the key to kind of wrapping your minds around, oh man, you mean women could serve as deacons? Well, what does that mean to serve as a deacon? Well, it means you serve. You're out there, um, you're working, you care and love people, um, care for and love people, and you are just out there to serve. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we have always have women, we have always had women doing this. We just don't give them a title. Uh, and I don't mean to laugh about that, but it, it, it's kind of, we're okay with them doing whatever as long as they don't have a title. And I think a lot of that is because the way we view leadership. Of a, uh, you know, if we view that in an authoritarian way, then you kind of withdraw, hey, hold on, what do you mean? These women get to run the show? Well, uh, these women get to be examples of the church. Uh, these women get to be examples of who Jesus is and the way that they love people, and the way that they care for people. And I think that's what Paul's saying. I don't think he uh, he could have said, he could have clarified, hey, now what I mean by Phoebe being a deacon is we didn't give her a title, but she does this. He could have clarified in any way because I can imagine Paul, like any good minister, <laughs> is uh, is anticipating those questions or concerns. But Paul doesn't make that, he doesn't, Feel like he has to make that uh, uh, an issue there, and so that, those are the reasons why I, I believe that Paul is talking about prospective uh, females serving the church uh, in this capacity. Uh, so he finishes up again with this in verse twelve: A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Uh, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So, uh, again, uh, you see there in verse 13, those who have served well and gained an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, that is something there where um, I believe, uh, you know, when you give and you serve, it's like anybody I have, I have encouraged to teach a Bible class or to preach, they come back afterwards and they're like, you know, I was nervous about this, but I believe I received the greatest blessing by doing by going through that, and I believe that's what Paul's saying here, is when you serve, uh, that's what happens. That's what you get, is, is you get this uh, this great assurance. You feel it in your bones. You feel that. And I think I think for me, at least, it's, it's those times where, you know, I feel like I'm too tired. I don't feel like I can serve, or man, it's not a good time. And so, but I go ahead and do it. I'm like, oh, I need to help those people. And then you do it, and you were you were given this blessing. I believe it's a huge blessing. You feel in that moment, man. I am. That was right. That was right to do. And and you received the blessing, though you you gave to someone else. You receive a blessing here, and this assurance, I believe, from God. Uh, that is just something something else. Um, now another thing is is let's jump back into verse twelve for just a second. Because we always have, this is one of those uh, scriptures that we spend a lot of time in. Like I said earlier, we don't spend time in, hey, is a man hospitable when talking about shepherds, but we pick out some different scriptures. Now, this is one of them that I think, I don't think we have necessarily understood the best way. Uh, so a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. So I think we get faithful to his wife. Now, we, we do make some... We do have a lot of discussions over that and what all that means or, you know, this scenario or that scenario. Uh, but it says, and must manage his children and his household well. So sometimes you hear the argument, this means a deacon must have kids. 
because we read this in a way that says, uh, we kind of read it as a legal document. And so because it mentions children, that means he must have children. Now, Paul doesn't say that. He's completely capable of it. He says he must manage his children and his household well. And, And so I think what we do here is we misunderstand how we use language. Because if I looked at you, and I, I did this last week, I, I used a couple uh, at our church as an example, and I said, you know, uh, if we don't understand how we use language, we can we can just come to some, some uh, different conclusions. So if I looked at you and your wife, and I invited you both to my house, I said, hey, uh, Katie and I would love to have you guys over. You and your kids come over and uh, have dinner with us. But I didn't know you don't have kids. You wouldn't then think John must not want me over because I don't have kids. But that's how we read this. A lot of times we we think, Oh, it says children. So he must have to have kids. Now I think Paul includes this in general. He's not, he's not setting out to make a list of all the scenarios he is talking in general. But if you're a person who has always said he must have children, you have to, to be consistent in your argument, you have to include the, the end of verse 12 as well. Because it says, and must manage his children and his household well. So, all right, we're going to say he's faithful to his wife. So we, we've got a married man. Now he must have children. All right, well, he has to have children. Well, what about his household? Because in this time period, in this culture, you most likely have um, extended family in your house. Uh, many people would have slaves in their house. And so if you're going to be consistent with your argument that you have to have children, then you also have to say you have to have more household than that. You have to have more people in your home. And we don't make that argument. I've never heard anyone say that. And, of course, <laughs> slavery is... Uh, illegal. And we would never say, you know, you have to fit this perfectly in that scenario, you know, in the household part, but we go to the children part and say, you have to have children. So I just want to encourage you to kind of study that uh, because it doesn't say you must have children. It says you must manage your children and your household. Well, again, think about how we use language and we wouldn't, we wouldn't take it that way. uh, If someone invited us to their house it said, bring your kids, and we didn't have any kids, so we decided we couldn't come. Uh, be, or they wouldn't want us there because we didn't have kids. That's just not how we use language. Paul is talking in general general terms, and he's trying. To, he's not trying to include every, you know, we would we would love it. I would love it if, if it was written like a legal document, and Paul said, and what I mean by this is, and he, he lists everything he can think of, you know, every situation, you know, and if he's been divorced, but it's been 20 years and he's been faithful to that wife, you know, all the, all the things that we can come up with, but Paul doesn't do that. And so we have to, uh, we have to work with it. So again, look at that. He must manage his children and his household well. And so if you're going to choose one, you have to choose the other. So uh, I think that would probably rule out most of our deacons. Uh, not many people have uh, extended uh, family with them. And, and so just, just think about that. Is that what Paul was saying? Or again, as I'm saying, what the big picture here is, we're looking at someone to serve. We're looking at their entire life, whatever that is. We're making sure they're godly people and that they fit all the things that Paul's thrown in here. That that kind of 
point you in all areas of their life. Again, they're faithful, they're temperate, they're, um, they manage what they have very well, they're not out for dishonest gain, all of these things. And so uh, I believe that's the big picture that Paul is getting at, not to include every single scenario that we could think of. And so uh, what I'm showing on the screen right now is it's just the uh, what I've put on is a portrait of a deacon, and I've just listed all the things that, that Paul said. Uh, just to remind you, worthy of respect, sincere, not in, not indulging in too much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They hold deep truths of the faith, uh, faithful to his wife, manage children and household well, worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, uh, temperate and trustworthy. In the last four there, we're talking about the, the section on women. So if nothing else, we have learned throughout this series that the way you lead, uh, biblically lead, is you serve. You serve people, you love people, you are an example to people. And that is, there's no difference right here when we're talking about deacons. And so the next time we go into a, a time of selecting uh, deacons, that's, that's what we need to consider. Do these people fit what Paul has written here? Are we ignoring some of the, the glaring things in their lives? Are we taking them all seriously? Are we trying to overlook someone's drinking problem uh, just to because we think they're a good person the, the rest of the time? Um, and I don't think that's uh, what we need to do. We need to focus on what has Paul said. And again, I just want to end this by saying I understand completely how sensitive some of these things can be and, uh, you know, we're kind of like that in church is anytime we have something new, it's, it's very difficult to wrestle with. And I've, uh, I have been there on different things and we'll be there again because I believe life uh, in service to Christ is all about learning. Uh, God says in, in Scripture so many times, talking about people with hard hearts, ears that don't hear. And Jesus says so many times, if you have, a, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And so that's what we do. We come to Scripture ready to hear. If we come to Scripture with all the answers and all the conclusions, that's not hearing. That's uh, that's having that hard heart and ears that are not open. And so if we're if we're in that situation, we uh, where we don't have ears that are open, we're in a situation where we can't correct error. Uh, we can't correct ourselves. We we've already had all the answers, and that's not a good place to be. We always need to be humble servants, humble people, ready to, to learn, ready to be taught, and uh, and just ready to serve. And so I, I just pray that um, this is a, this has been a just a, a lesson that I, I know for some of you it's very challenging. Um, and again, there's no you don't hear from me. Hey, and we're changing this tomorrow. You know whatever it is. Um, this is hey, this is what Scripture says. We have to dive into it. You remember the, the one section with Phoebe? I mean, there's no way. I don't expect anyone to read that and, and understand how they would have read this commendation 2,000 years ago. It just wouldn't make sense. You have to go into the side. I would have never known that had I not had access to all the tools I have access to. And so it's difficult. We can admit that. That's fine. But we the, the key is that we come together, we study God's Word, we love each other. We're not always going to agree, uh, but we go to God's word anyway, and we wrestle with it. We deal with it. There is no sense in in, in just coming together and closing our ears and and just blah 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 through the parts where we don't like or don't 
um, don't want to hear in a different way. And so again, I just pray, and I, I prayed with my uh, uh, what I ended with today in, in the service. But I just pray that for all of us, no matter what we're doing uh, in church, whether we have an official title or we don't, that we live a life ready to serve, not just to receive, uh, but to what can I give today? Um, there's that saying we have that a, a church is not a museum for saints. You know, it's a hospital for sinners. And then I had a professor at Harding say, yeah, but not everybody needs, needs to be in the ICU all at once. There's got to be somebody taking care of others, right? And so I love that. And uh, uh, one day it's going to be me who's down and you need to encourage me. You need to love me. You need to lift me up and help me back on the, on the way. Other days, it's going to be you, and I need to step up, and I need to love you enough to do the same exact thing, to love you, to serve you in those times, uh, to be there for you. And so that's what we have to be. We can, we can so get caught up in, in, in some of these things, uh, maybe some of the topics we mentioned today, where I'm so frustrated by this thing that we've, we haven't taught before, we haven't understood that way before, that I lose sight of the big picture. God sent his son to die on the cross for us, to forgive us of all our sins. And that's the way he showed his love for us. And because of that, because he first loved us, we love one another. And so I pray that's the case. If there's anything in your life that, that needs to be fixed, it needs to be uh, prayed over, I'd love to pray with you, reach out. That is not uh, something anyone should ever be ashamed of. Uh, I, I I need people to, to reach out. I want to reach out to people. I have people in my life that... Uh, that love me. And I want to encourage you to that. You don't have to reach out to me. Find someone who loves you, some friend, and tell them. Tell them that you you want prayers, that you're having this struggle. Someone that you can uh, confide in. Someone that will encourage you. Don't walk through life just half in, half out. Never know where I'm going to be. But commit your life to Jesus. So we're going to end there. Again, sorry I didn't um, record the earlier service, but... Audio quality is frankly, uh, I'm sure, amazing compared to what I would have had on my phone earlier. Uh, so I, again, I hope this has been helpful. Uh, if we can do anything for you, please, again, reach out. Come see us in person. We'd love to uh, to meet you, to get you involved, and uh, just be a part of our church. So God loves you. I love you. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. <music>